No, on Wednesday, uh, I, was, I was sick Monday night is when it came on, and uh, Tuesday's my normal day off, so uh, I was sick Tuesday, and then Wednesday morning, I was like, okay, I'm not going to the office, I'm going to work from home. Yes, I'll work when I'm sick, but anyway, um, I let the team know that, and they started telling me, hey, do you need some chicken soup? Do you need a chemist run? Do you need this? Do you need that? And they're just rallying around that. And I was just so blessed by that. And I said no to everything, of course, uh, because I'm a strong, independent person and uh, I don't need no help. But um, anyway, it was such a blessing to know that I was being encouraged by them. They were praying for me uh, and all those uh, things. And, you know, if we are physically sick, people show compassion. Isn't that great? You enjoy that when you're, when you're sick? How many of you enjoy being sick because you get taken care of? How many of you act like you're sick even when you're not so you get taken care of? Yeah. But if we are having problems, not with our physical health, but with our mental health, is it the same way? Not always. Well, partly because we don't say anything. Because we, we, have a, we, we put a stigma on that, and we're not willing to admit that I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling depressed, I'm feeling all these things, so people don't even know. But if we do, oftentimes, other people have a stigma around that, and, and they don't, actually don't know how to respond uh, to encourage us and to, to help us. So we're actually in the middle of a series right now uh, called Finding Peace. And in that series, we're trying to demystify some of these things around mental health, around anxiety and depression and burnout and worry and stress and grief and all those things that we all battle with from time to time, but we don't talk about a lot because for some reason, especially in Christian circles, there's a stigma attached to it. So hopefully in this series, we're trying to give some uh, comfort around that and normalize it a little bit. So that you are free not to be okay sometimes and provide some resources for helping. So we started that last week and we were talking about anxiety last week. And we looked at Jehoshaphat and uh, three different uh, kings were warring against him. And that would have created lots of stress and anxiety. And we saw how he dealt with that. If you want to hear more about that, go to our website, go to our app, go to their YouTube channel. Go anywhere you want. Just, just look it up on, uh, online, WBC messages, you'll find it. Uh, we're all over the place out there, uh, so catch up on that. But the question for you is, how are you feeling today? As you can tell, uh, I'm, I'm on the upside. I'm on the, the, the recovery side of being sick, but I'm still feeling a bit ordinary. Uh, Deanna actually came home from Brisbane Thursday night where she had been speaking at a conference up there, and uh, she uh, actually... Last night, started coming down with all this, and by this morning, she's running a fever and coughing up infection, and we're getting on a plane Tuesday morning, so please be praying about that. So anyway, we're, we're a little bit sick, but how are you feeling today? If you are like over half of the Australians, the average Australians, then you are feeling burnt out. Statistics tell us that. 53% of people living in Australia according to a study, first quarter of this year, admit to feeling burnt out. So over half of you, if statistically you're average, you're way above average, so it's probably higher, um, 
you who would have been to feeling burnt out. Did you know that this is, some, that this is something, you, you like being good at stuff as a country? Any patriotism in the house? Australian workers are the most burned out in the world. Woohoo! How good is that? Gold medal for burnout. Wow, wow. Now how are you feeling? <laughs> uh, you know, the, one of the reasons uh, that burnout is so prevalent today, or the feeling of burnt out. In fact, I actually think that word is overused sometimes, uh, and we, we just say, oh, I'm burned out, and you have no idea what burnout really is yet. But the reason that people are feeling burnt out is because after a couple of years of lockdowns and everything, what we did, we, we learned to work from home, right? And when you're working from home, you know when you're at work? Always. Do you know when you're at home? Always. And your personal and your work and all that, it never separates. And you're always, always, always on. You're unable to disconnect. A University of New South Wales uh, study uh, has uh, found that uh, this, the whole great resignation thing, they are actually twisting that and flipping that to say, you know what, we're not so sure it's a great resignation because people are dissatisfied with their jobs. It's more that people are exhausted. And they're calling it the great exhaustion. So people are just saying, I've had enough. And yes, they'll go find another job, but it changes as good as a holiday, that kind of thing. Burnout. It's defined as this. The cessation of operation usually of a jet or rocket engine. So when a rocket takes off, it has the boosters and everything, and when the, the fuel is done, what happens? Those boosters crash, right? To the ground or hopefully into the ocean so it can clog up the ocean and put debris there and all that. That's a whole other subject for another day. But it, it results in a crash. Humanly speaking, burnout is exhaustion of physical or emotional strength or motivation as a result of prolonged stress, which results in crash, right? When we go hard for so long, physically, mentally, and emotionally, it eventually catches up with us. And unexpectedly, we find ourselves crashed. You know, I find it ironic that I'm preaching this this week. I've been going hard for a long time right now, this, this season. And I, I'm not attaching this to burnout, by the way. I'm attaching to this that we're falling people, disease is part of the world, and I got sick this week. But sometimes your body does say, hey, that's enough. You're not going to take a break. Well, you're going to take a break. Burnout. Experts tell us that it's not just a result of working long hours. Some people uh, think that, but it's a combination of mental, emotional, and physical exhaustion from multiple sources, and it's our inability to balance all of the demands. That's what creates this condition of burnout. Some of the symptoms, according to the Queensland Department of Health website, there's physical symptoms like headache and frequent illness, General fatigue and low energy, changes in your appetite and sleep, memory loss, and th this affects your brain. We talked about the brain a little bit last week, but it affects your brain when you're actually diagnosed as burned out. They can see your brain, and the part called the amygdala is actually enlarged. 
Now, that's important because the amygdala is the part of the brain, and again, I'm telling you what I've researched, okay? I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist, so you have to trust my research, not my own knowledge. Anyway, that's the part of the brain that controls that whole fight or flight syndrome, right? When, when, you're, when you're afraid. And when that's enlarged, you know what, it hap- what happens then is that it overreacts. It makes you desperate all the time. It makes you feel a sense of desperation and fear. Also, it weakens the prefrontal cortex of your brain, which is the part of your brain that's used for making decisions. So when you're burnt out, you have trouble making decisions, and you're probably not making great decisions because of being burnt out. Some other symptoms are helplessness and cynicism, sense of failure or a sense of self-doubt, feeling detached and loss of motivation. And uh, some of our behaviors will withdraw and isolate when we're burnt out or have outbursts. All those kinds of things can happen. Burnout is different than stress. Stress is short-lived. We talked about that again last week. And sometimes stress can be good. It can give you the energy to get through a moment. But when it's prolonged, it can lead to burnout. Carrie Newhoff, who was a lawyer and a pastor, and he's a bit of a futurist and a leadership expert, said this about burnout. Five signs you may be burning out. So take note of this, okay, to know if you have to listen to the rest of the message today. Time off is no longer restful or refueling. You take a holiday and you come back and you're still the same, exhausted. Decreased productivity. You're not able to do what you once did, and it's not just because you're getting older, Okay. Waning passion or feeling emotionally flat. You just kind of don't care anymore. A cynical attitude towards people or situations. Any cynics in the crowd? Don't raise your hands. Uh, A sharp decline in your physical, mental, or emotional, or spiritual health. If you're ticking any of those boxes or the other ones that I listed, if you're ticking a lot of those boxes, actually, you might want to tune in. If you're not ticking those boxes today, tune in anyway and save this information for later because it might help you if you're struggling in this area. Now, I used to quote Amy Carmichael a lot. I love something that she said uh, once upon a time. She said this. She said, I would rather burn out than rust out. Anybody with me? You're a doer. We're going to get things done. I'd rather burn out than rust out because you're sitting over there doing nothing, right? You're going to rust out. You know what I realized one day, though? That the result is the same. You're out. So rust out or burn out, you're still out. There should be a better way, right? Maybe there's a better answer than rusting out or burning out. As I said last week, We are whole people. We are physical or psychological. We are spiritual. And I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist or any of those things. I'm your pastor. So I'm going to approach these things from the spiritual side. And I'm going to tell you what I've researched and studied as well, how those overlap sometimes because they're all interconnected. But you may need more help than 
what these messages or even the life group notes and situations and everything uh, might produce and all the extra resources we're providing in this series. You may need extra help for that, and I encourage you to seek that out. Go see your GP. Go see a counselor, things like that. If things through this whole series are resonating with you and opening up things that you need just a little bit more help because it's okay not to be okay, and it's okay to get help. So with that as a backdrop, I want us to look at an amazing man of God. In the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17 through 19, we see an Old Testament prophet who was sold out to God. He was passionate. He was successful in ministry. His name was Elijah, and his life is chronicled in those three chapters for us. In chapter 17, we see that Elijah gave a bad king some bad news. He said there's going to be a drought And Ahab is the king. He didn't like Elijah because he said Elijah's always bringing bad news when he comes around. So after he gave him the bad news, God told Elijah, hey, go and I want you to camp out by a stream. And you're going to camp out there and I'm going to feed you by ravens bringing you food. All right. And he did that for quite a while. And then the, the stream started drying up. So God told him, okay, go to this village. And you're going to meet a widow there, and I want you to ask her to feed you. So he did that. He found the widow, and he said, hey, can I get some water, and can you bake me some bread? And the widow said, hey, I'm about to go bake some bread, but it's the last flour I've got. It's it's everything I've got. Me and my son, we're going to eat, and then we're going to die, okay? So I'm not making you any food. Elijah said, hey, make me some too, and by the authority of God, I promise you, you're never going to run out of food. So long story short, she made him some food, and it actually happened. Successful in ministry. Then a few years later, or uh, yeah, a few years later, the widow's son died. And Elijah raised him back to life. He's seeing success in ministry. He's seeing God's provision. He's seeing God's protection. He's seeing God come through. In every situation. And then the most famous of all is in 1 Kings chapter 18, where we see Elijah being just massively bold. He approaches Ahab again a few years later, and he tells Ahab, You are the troublemaker that has caused all the problems here for Israel. Because Ahab said, Oh, there's Elijah the troublemaker. Elijah said, No, 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 you're the troublemaker. Then Elijah called out Israel. And he said, you guys need to stop being so wishy-washy. You need to commit and follow God. Stop trying to figure out whether Baal's God or God is God. You know who's God. Follow him. So he called out Israel. And then he called out the prophets of Baal and Asherah, over 850 prophets. He called them out. And he said, you guys need to knock it off. You're leading people the wrong way. And I challenge you to a duel. We're going to figure out whose God is the right God, whether it's Baal or whether it's God. So if you don't know the story, you've got to go read this for yourself, but I'm going to give you a bit of an overview. He, he said, I want you to build an altar, and I want you to sacrifice a bull on it, and then I want you to pray to Baal and your other gods and let him make fire come down and consume the, the sacrifice. And he said, then I'll do the same, and we'll see whose God answers. So they built an altar, and uh, it's interesting to note, though, that while he's telling them this, he said something that I'm going to bring back in a few minutes because it's really important, his, his mental space right now. 
Elijah said to them, after he's saying, do all this, he said, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left. Put that in the back of your mind. Elijah said, I'm the only one that's left. He's saying, there's 850 of you. I'm the only one that's left here. So the prophets of Baal made the altar. They put the bull on it. And they, from morning till midday, danced around and they tried to get their gods to consume the sacrifice, to send the fire down. There was no response. They were dancing, they were jumping on the altar. And then I love, this might be one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament, where Elijah did this. It says, about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You have to shout louder, he scoffed. For surely he is a God. Perhaps he is daydreaming or is relieving himself. Or maybe he's away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be awakened. I love Elijah. He is so bold. He is so in their face. I, I cannot imagine being that bold, taking people on. When, when there's 850 of them, I'm the only one left. But I don't care. All right, that's Elijah. He's like, whoa. Guys, you, you guys in the toilet or what? So funny. So they shouted louder. They cut themselves. They raved, it says, uh, all afternoon until the evening sacrifice time. So they've done this all day long. Still nothing. So Elijah then says, okay, it's my turn now. So he repaired the altar that they had broken down and messed up, and he put the bull on it, and he told the people then, he said, all right, I want you to soak it with water. And they dug a trench around the altar, and he said three more times, soak it with water, till water drenched everything, filled the trench, and then he prayed a very simple prayer to the God of heaven. And he asked God to show himself, and God sent fire down immediately, and it Consumed the sacrifice, it consumed the wood, it consumed all the stones and lapped up all the water around. And the result was the people said, the Lord is God. God won that battle. The prophets of Baal and Asherah were then killed, 850 of them. They were killed because of where they had been going. What a victory. He's on top of the world. I like to say Elijah was a bold, faith-filled, confident, fearless, smack-talking prophet who had everything to be encouraged about. Things were going so well. And then, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. So what do you reckon this bold, faith-filled, confident, fearless, smack-talking prophet did? Think he said, I'm not afraid of you, Jezebel. I just took on 850 prophets. I've actually raised a kid from the dead before. I made sure a widow's food never ran out because God was on my side. All this I did in the power of God. I'm not afraid of you, Jezebel. 
Is that what you would expect from this bold, faith-filled, confident, smack-talking prophet? You would think so. Look what he did. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah. He's running for his life. The distance from where he was to where he went was 170 kilometers. That's about four marathons, and he ran. Reckon he might have been tired when he got done? He ran for his life because of the threat of one woman. He was so bold, so confident. And one woman's displeasure with him sent him reeling. Why? Why? I think I understand. You see, it was one more thing. At the end of a tremendous victory, a mountaintop experience, literally on Mount Carmel, he would have been exhausted. And then it was one more thing. See, it's not usually the big challenges that derail us because we can get up for that. We got the adrenaline flowing and hey, that big thing's gonna happen and we we can get up to get that done. But then one more thing happens and it trips us up. One more criticism. One more disappointment, one more threat in Elijah's case. You know, I call this living life without margin, which leaves us exhausted. Living life without margin leaves us exhausted so that then when that one more thing comes, we have no space for it. We have no energy for it. We have just spent ourselves so completely Even in good things sometimes, like Elijah did. And then we got nothing left. Elijah had a successful ministry, but it was hard work. God was blessing what he was doing. But it would have left him drained. You know, what we see Elijah doing, we see him running. When we are drained, when we are exhausted, friends, we do not make the best decisions. Anybody relate to that? Anybody make decisions when you're really tired? You know, I I actually will tell people sometimes, you know what? I'm not going to process that right now because I'm not going to, I'm not in a good place yet to do that. I can't do that right now. I need more time and mental capacity to do that. Elijah reacted in fear and ran. And something very important to note here. All the other times he moved, when he went to confront Ahab, when he went and stayed by the brook and got fed by ravens, every move that he made had been directed by God until this one. This one, he got the message, Jezebel's gonna kill you, and he ran. There's no consultation, there's no evidence here that says he consulted with God at all or God told him to run for his life. He just ran. He had been making decisions in faith. Now he's making decisions in fear. You know, when we're exhausted, unfortunately, the first thing to go, when we're too busy, we're overwhelmed, we're overworked, is some of our spiritual habits. 
spending time in prayer, spending time in the word, the things that will keep us focused and centered, even if we're physically tired, will keep us mentally and, and spiritually in sync with God. Elijah had been very busy doing, but he needed to slow down long enough to be. Elijah was exhausted, so he ran. And as he's running, look what he did in verse 4. It says, he was afraid, fled for his own life, went to Beersheba, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone in the wilderness. Doing life alone leaves us exposed. He left his servant. He got to Beersheba, and he left his servant there, and then he went further out into the wilderness. He decided to go into the wilderness by himself. Now, I actually think that's healthy sometimes. Like, I need some alone time. But Elijah is exhausted. He's depleted. And it tells us that he went alone into the wilderness. He removed himself from all support. Why did he decide to go it alone? I think there's a couple of reasons. One, potentially he's embarrassed by the fact he's running for his life and he was this bold, confident, smack-talking prophet and now he's running with his tail between his legs. But I also think potentially he's peopled out at this point. He's had enough people. He's drained. So he wants to be alone. But the problem is he's withdrawing and isolating. That's a symptom of being burned out. But when you need people the most... You push them away because all your reserves are gone. Friends, when we recognize that, that's when we need to say, hang on a minute. I know I'm drained. I know I'm peopled out. And I know I'm exhausted. And people don't seem like what I need right now, but actually they are what I need right now. The right people. People that are going to love you and care about you and come alongside you in that moment. So you're exposed alone with your thoughts. And your cynicism, look at Elijah. It says, traveling all day, he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. I've had enough Take my life. How desperate is that? I won't ask you to show your hands, but have you been there? It may have been a fleeting thought and you didn't entertain it. I've had enough. Just wish I could check out. Then he says, I'm not any better than my ancestors. He's comparing now. He's thinking about his ancestors and he's thinking, I had hopes and dreams. I was going to be different than them. I was going to end up better than they were. And here I am. I'm no better than them. Friends, comparison can contribute, can compound your burnout. When we start comparing ourselves to others, whether it's good comparison or bad comparison, it can fuel our own inadequacies and our sense of self-doubt and all those things. Comparison is not our friend when we're feeling this way. So he says, just kill me now. I've had enough. So here he is, this bold, faith-filled, confident, smack-talking prophet, 
exhausted and exposed, wishing he was dead. See what happens next. It says, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, you are such a disgrace, a disappointment. I can't believe you're running from Jezebel. This is a prayer problem. Are you with me? Right, right. I'm reading something different, right? Right? Okay. No. You know, that that's, might be what I would have said to Elijah. It's like, dude, are you out of your mind? I saw you yesterday with 850 prophets that are dead. And you're running from Jezebel. Get up. Stop it. That, that's my counsel. So don't come to me for counseling. But the angel, all right, told him, get up and eat. Get up and eat. He looked around. And there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. I've said a few times already, this physical, psychological, spiritual life, they're all interconnected. And sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is eat and rest. When you're exhausted, when you're depleted, you need some rest. Friends, you may need rest more than you need a Bible verse in that moment. Because you may be so mentally exhausted and physically depleted that you're not gonna be able to understand even the Bible verse. Rest, food, are not unspiritual things. You know, this is some advice that Elijah actually had given to Ahab earlier. We didn't look at this, uh, but in uh, chapter 18, verse 41, after the battle at Mount Carmel, look what he said to Ahab. Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink because rain's coming. This, that's a whole nother talk that we could spend some time on. But he told Ahab, after the, the battle at Mount Carmel, he told Ahab, go home. Eat something, drink something, take care of yourself, refuel. So Elijah knew the answer. He taught it to others, but he needed to be reminded himself. You cannot just keep pushing through and pushing through, even if you're Elijah. Your mind will say enough. Your body will say enough. You have to take time to refuel, to recharge, to energize. It's not unspiritual. But you know what's going to happen? When we do this, when we take the time aside and we say, okay, it's not unspiritual for me to take care of myself, you know what's going to happen? Your mind is going to start telling you some things. It's going to start giving you false guilt because if you rest, if you say no to that person, you're going to let them down. You're going to disappoint them. You're not going to help them with their problem. You're not going to uh, come through for your family. You're not going to come through for that other person that needs you. But friends, whether you burn out or rust out, you're still going to be out, and then you're not going to be there for anyone. It's not unspiritual to take care of ourselves. There's a reason that God made keeping the Sabbath one of the top ten in the Old Testament. It's for us to make us healthy, 
Some of you need to take a break, some time off. Wow. Verse 8. So he got up, ate, drank, and ate and drank the food, gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. So the Lord met him there. The Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. What we see here is that recovery actually takes time, and it's not just a one-off. He had the moment there where the angel told him, get some food and eat. He said, that's going to give you enough strength for the 40-day journey ahead. 40 days later, here he is again saying, I'm the only one. And God says, what are you doing here? So he's eaten. He's been rested, and he needs now an encounter with God. Look at this encounter with God. It says, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, The Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. The Lord was not in the wind. He was not in the earthquake. And he was not in the fire. But he was in the gentle whisper. This is going to make some of you uncomfortable. But you need to hear this. God does not speak to us in the wow. He speaks to us in the whisper. Now, before you get too afraid... God does speak in the wow. God declares his glory, his majesty, his power in the wow. But he speaks to us intimately, personally in the whisper. See, Elijah loved the miraculous and the spectacular. He was a part of those things. And God was in that, but it was a one-off. We like the spectacular, and too often I think we live for the extraordinary moments. But God speaks to us in the ordinary, in our quiet time in the morning. We're doing household chores when we're driving to work, when we're driving the kids to their sport or school, when we're having dinner with family. The normal, ordinary, everyday life stuff. God is there, and that's where the whispers can be. Why a whisper? See, the whisper drew Elijah closer to lean in, to hear what God had to say. We have to lean in. You see, extraordinary moments are few and far between by definition. That's why they're extraordinary. But the ordinary moments are there every day, all day long. Listen for that whisper in the ordinary. 
The rest of the story, Elijah was rested, he was refreshed, he's restored, now he's hearing from God. And the Lord said, here's your next assignment, I want you to go uh, anoint kings and appoint prophets. And by the way, you're going to work with 7,000 other people who have never uh, bowed to Baal. You were not alone, ever, when you thought you were the only one. So on the other side of burnout, there's restoration, there's re-engagement. So you might say that's good for Elijah, but what about us? Are you feeling burnt out? Statistically, half of you are, over half. Half of us are. So how can we get back on track? How can we recover? Or how can we prevent from getting there? First of all, if you're exhausted, stop living life without margin. Say no to some things. It's okay to say no, because if you rust out or burn out, you're still out, okay? Sit down and stop sometimes. Are you feeling exposed? Stop trying to do life alone. Engage with other people who can be there for you. Maybe you need to be energized. Just eat. Take a nap. Go home today and take a nap. Can I get an amen? Yeah. It's not selfish. Don't have false guilt about it. And then, listen. Just lean into that whisper. In the ordinary, hear God's voice. You'll be physically restored because you took a nap and ate. You'll hear from God. You'll get that direction that you need to restore and refresh and recover and go forward. Until the next time, you need to rest and restore and recover and listen. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the prophet Elijah. Thank you for his passion, his boldness, his energy that he displayed in the wow moments. Thank you for showing us, Lord, when he was struggling and wanted you to take his life. And Lord, we in this room, in this country, live in a a land of people who are burnt out, who have not necessarily always managed life well and just things have gotten on top of us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be willing to do the things we need to to recover, that we would not do life in isolation and that we would create some margin and that we would take care of ourselves. And Lord, help us to slow down enough and be quiet enough that we can hear gentle whisper. 